The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. If you'd been involved in the resources industry in Perth back in 2017, you would have heard one Avrind Misra contentedly declare he'd achieved all he wanted to achieve in his stellar 30-odd year career as a mining engineer and MD. And you may have heard his plans for what to do with the proceeds of years of hard work creating a number of stellar resources projects around the globe from India to Australia. And if, as the year drew to a close, you were in a certain coffee shop petition in Perth one day, you may have raised an eyebrow if you'd overheard a conversation between Avrind and a pair of geologists who were looking for advice on how to list what they had identified as a very promising project in Ballara, New South Wales. And you would have smiled when the duo said, look, Avrind, you've got great experience in this. Why don't you just do it for us? And the seasoned resources industry veteran observed an opportunity too good to miss, and now the initial project has been added to in the last 18 months or so and turned into a company with not one, but three projects in Tier 1 locations that you and I are going to discover more about over the next 20 minutes to see if it's something that should be part of our investing strategy going forwards. The company, Bellara Rocks. I'm Christina Morrissey, and welcome to Stock Insiders. So around the globe at the moment, the leaders of some of the world's best-known companies, Google, IBM, Microsoft, are run by graduates of a university out of India, IIT. There are 2 million applicants a year vying for 2,000 places. It is for the elite of the elite. So even before he graduated from IIT, our guest today was always going to be one step ahead. Let's find out a little of the background of the man who's taking us elephant hunting in Argentina today, exploring for the next big copper gold porphyry deposit. Avrind, welcome to you. Thank you, Christina. And I'm glad to be on the forum and talking to you today. We're really glad to have you here. Where did you actually grow up? Where was your childhood home? My childhood home in a town called Varanasi in India, which is the middle of India. If you draw a line between New Delhi and Kolkata, it's halfway through northern part of India. And uh, that's where I grew mostly and did my uni and schooling in that town. And was a young Avarin, do you remember going back those those years, do you think he was destined for a career in resources when he applied to IIT? I mean, competing against 1,999,000 other applicants, it's a huge odds. When I was growing up, I never thought there was a mining industry that I'll be eventually heading a company. What happens in uh, in competitive environment like what you described earlier is that you you apply for it, you get a rank, and from the rank you choose a campus. And uh, the campus that I chose was in my hometown because my father wanted me to live closer to the home. And in the campus, the best I could get at the time was mining engineering. So that's how I started my mining career, not knowing much about mining. But I knew that institute was so great. And when I graduate, I'll have plenty of opportunities. So the institute provides opportunities for extra study programs and internships, from what I understand, that can then turbocharge students' careers. So who came knocking on your door towards the end of your studies and what was the offer? Uh, in the final semester when I was doing that was early 1988, Rio Tinto was in campus and there's one of their managers were attending the conference. They really liked the standards of the education and, and the quality of the candidates at the time and 
they were they, they offered a position for one of the engineers to come to Australia and join their graduate engineer program. And out of the many, I applied and I was one of those ones that got chosen. And I came only for a couple of years because the program was meant to run for two years. I had intention of going back. But those two years now have become 35 years in this country. So how do you end up in Perth? Uh, look, after having done four years of the coal mines, Oolongong, and a couple of years in Mount Isa, I went overseas uh, working for a company called Jambia Copper Mines, partly owned by Anglo-American out of South Africa. And uh, once I finished those two years contract, I had to go somewhere. My wife said, for mining in here, Perth is the best town you can live in. So we ended up coming to Perth, just having chosen, having having uh, done the research. And, and a lot of my colleagues from Mount Isa days were moving to Perth, Western Australia at that time. And they were all very happy having good careers. So we came to Perth and, and also Perth is Silicon Valley of mining. That's what we call because this is where all the world-class research gets done, world-class management systems are done. And, and it's a world-leading state to be living and developing a career as a mining engineer. So that's the reason to come to Perth. So you've been involved in so many successful projects. You've led um, three listings. There's just too much, I think, to talk about in the next 20 minutes. However, I did mention in the introduction that in 2017, you were seriously considering all options after a very successful decade. Tell us about the the project that took up that 10 years that saw you meeting prime ministers and, and set you up for kind of an early retirement, if you so chose. In 2007, we did this listing in a company called India Resources Limited. We looked for $10 million in IPO. The market was booming at that time and we got offered a lot more than $10 million. So eventually we collected $30 million. And with that money, we acquired a project or a 10-year lease to work for Government of India company called Hindustan Copper. They had this mine, a project called Surda Project, which has been sitting dormant for a long time. We went in so I took about 12 Aussies and South African with me and it ended up in the middle of nowhere in India, a place called Jack. And and I started from scratch, setting up new offices and developing the infrastructure for the mine. And it actually became very successful, uh, definitely very satisfying for me personally, because from one point of view that having come from India, I was able to sort of take investment in technology and management system and create job opportunities. Eventually, we hired about 2,000 locals. Those guys had never worked the mines. We trained them. We put them in the mine. And I was very proud of my safety records, particularly for those 10 years. You know, the most you hear that some scratches in the toes or, or fingers is despite the fact it was a pretty much a manual air-lake kind of mining that we were doing. And uh, after having done that, we also did a lot of exploration work. I successfully established 135 million ton resource for a zinc and lead deposit we discovered in western part of India. And in all in all, in 10 years, we contributed about $200 million to the government of India's coffers in terms of royalties and taxes. And uh, we were the only foreign company, India Resources was the only foreign company operating underground mines in India. We still maintain that record. And uh, because of that, we had quite a bit of attention from both sides of the politics, both of the governments, they were full from the, on the bilateral forums, we get opportunity to present 
and I was lucky to be invited into the G20 forum in 2014 in Melbourne, where I had the opportunity to meet the prime ministers. And that was the reason for getting that recognition. I wanted to ask you those questions because I wanted to establish in all of our listeners' minds the type of person that you are, the skill set that you that you have. So when you decided in 2017, when this you decided to step out of that project and have a bit of time to yourself, tell us about the geologists that you met up with in that coffee shop in Perth. Who were they and what was it that they showed you that made you change your mind? Yeah, look, uh, uh, Greg and Michelle, they are very well-respected geologists in our community. Each of them 40 years experience and have done multiple uh, very successful discoveries, and uh, and I had done a bit of work with them in the past, hence the reason for catching from time to time. So this project was just dropped by previous owner, Arden Bark, who had done some drilling and established edge oak resource, which was to the previous court of 2004. And the question that was asked was, uh, is that whether we continue to do a bit more work privately and prove it up to 2012 standard or look at the alternative strategy of getting IPO and raising money and then do the job confirmation of 2012 standard. And because the market was so good for IPO at the time, and I had advised them to, to probably look at listing and I thought they had enough uh, that had enough drilling done in the past and that has shown enough potential to increase that old resource to a significant level. And they took that advice and asked me to list. So that's, that's how we started that process. So there went your relaxing coffee shop meetings with people. Where did the name of the company come from? The company name comes from the Bellara project itself. Uh, that's the first part of the Bellara Rocks. And ROX comes from a band called Mondo Rocks. And the Mondo Rocks is a company that Michelle and Greg, that's their parent company. So they have got all these projects, they put it in the child child of their company, they all get ROX at the end. So Bellara became Bellara Rocks because it came from the Mondo Rocks family. So you set yourself up a team fairly quickly. And over the years, when you look at the paper you've worked alongside, and created change with this, some pretty noteworthy resources. How did you decide who to call on with this project once you decided it was, was worth listing? Who were they? Oh, look, having been in industry for so long, you know the people that you work like working with and you know their reputation by that time. So I've been very blessed with uh, my friend and uh, mentor, Neil Warburton. He did a bit of work with him in the past. So he was the first uh, call to make and he was pretty happy to come along and be the chairman and then other corporate advisors and legal advisors, people who have worked on the previous listings I did. I had the same team. And obviously, Kenex team, which is led by Michelle and Greg, they have a bunch of geologists. And uh, so I had the technical team, I had the corporate team, and that's how I put it together just from those people. I understand that Neil brought one of his projects with you into the company that you're setting up for listening. Correct. So Neil had some land holdings in uh, near Kulgari, a project called Bulobole. So he brought that project in. Greg and Michelle brought the Bellara project. That's how uh, we put those two projects into the listing. And I just thinking from a, a geologist, can you explain the, the geologist take on that district that you're in at Bulobuling? Because being a girl from the goldfields, I always think gold, but the focus is widening, isn't it, out there? Correct. So Bulobuling has uh, traditionally been explored and known for Gold and the Bulobuling project itself, which is south of our tenements, holds three million ounces of gold, which, by the way, was found and established by Greg Partington when he was working for the company back in 2004. 
So he knew the district pretty well, so that was cool. But recently, if you look at not far away, and if you draw a circle about 100 kilometers radius circle around us, there are a lot of uh, new lithium plies, which were old coal mines converted into the lithium black Mount Marion and other ones. And there are 350 million tons of resource either being developed or mined. Kind of, so it's a huge kind of uh, lithium play in that area. And immediately south of is a company called uh, Future Battery Metals. Their project Kangaroo Hills, and they drilled, and they have had very good luck finding 29 meters of 1.36 percent lithium oxide. Uh, so looking at the structures we have, we've been sort of uh, strategy shifting a little bit uh, towards lithium, and we have done the mapping. We've done the drone imagery and the rock chips, and we have found pathfinder material. So we have now pivoted ourselves to lithium, and gold is not forgotten. In the rock chips we did, we had about one of the samples, 11.9 programs per ton. So it's still there, but at the moment, because market is quite buoyant about lithium, and obviously, so, and the success that I'm seeing around my ground, so I'm, I'm focusing a bit more on lithium discovery at the moment. So what was it, that's in Bulling, what was it that you're getting out of um, the eastern states? Is it zinc over that side, isn't it? So on the zinc, uh, on the eastern side is mainly a VMS deposit, uh, uh, zinc and copper. And it has other elements also, lead, gold and silver that comes with that. So it's a predominantly... There was a historical mine, uh, Bellara mine, underground mine, which was mined pre-World War for very high-grade copper. They were mining 3 to 5% copper and 2 to 4.5 grams ton gold. So it's, it's been mined in the past at a very small scale, but high-grade copper and gold. But the, 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 our discovery so far, the drilling that we have done up to about 7,000 meters, has established in food resource of 5 million ton at 3.4% zinc equivalent, which has got zinc, copper, mainly, and lead, gold, and silver also attached with that. Yeah, that's impressive. So take us to the listing then, the initial listing of Bellarar Rocks, the share price and the market reaction. Oh, look, uh, I was very fortunate. The timing probably was perfect. The time market was good. And, uh, and the structure of the deal itself was pretty attractive to the investors. So we kept uh, the EV very low, only up to $4 million and only about 45 uh, million shares on issue at the time. And uh, when I marketed the company, I said uh, the EV of $4 million didn't reflect the value that we already had because of the previous drilling on the projects, particularly Bilara project and compared them with the existing uh, ASX list company with similar kind of resource base, and they were trading at four to five multiples. So market believed in the story, and plus market being good, uh, we really had good sort of support, and uh, where share price went from 20 cents to $1.50 within a few months of listing. So it was a very good, very good result that way. Very impressive. And then you added more potential value to the company from the most productive copper range in the world, the Andean range in Argentina. What's the project over that way? That project is uh, what we are changing there is uh, potentially large copper gold porphyry system. And it's an elephant country where you find those kind of uh, large deposits. And I'll, I'll just build my story a little bit because it's very interesting and we are so excited about it. So this project uh, uh, was brought to us through our lead broker, uh, CPS Capital, Phil Koss, uh, who knows the vendor, Jason Ward, who is now a director also on the board. And he joined the dots because we were the battery metal company focusing on copper, zinc, lithium. And this project happens to have large, world-class potential 
the discovery potential for copper gold. So we got talking to Jason through Phil and uh, and as we developed during due diligence process that this project was also drilled in the past, the 22 holes drilled, 8,750 meters of trenching work done, and all of them are like pathfinder to the porphyry. So, but it, in itself, this pathfinder, it looks very exciting. Some of the intersections up to 266 meters of up to 3 to 4% zinc equivalent. If we do the similar calculation, we have done the Bellara. So that project uh, has got 320 square kilometers, and it's got very, very good neighbors. So just immediately <coughs> south, we have a company called Barrick and Shandong. They're operating two large gold mines there called Baladero and Piascolama. And up north, about 30 to 40 kilometers, London has got two projects, one called Philip Soul, another called Jose Maria. And Philip Soul, which BHP also co-investing there, they found intersection of 1,337 meters at 1.33% copper equivalent. Those kind of massive intersections, you hear them once in a lifetime, you know, it, it's that kind of country. And recently, we've done some uh, satellite surveys, uh, uh, Landsat surveys, Sentinel and Astro 2. And uh, Dr. Garvin, who is a world-renowned porphyry guru, along with Jason Ward. Now, the man to whom everyone listens, how did you get him on board? Oh, him, uh, Jason and uh, Dr. Garvin have done discoveries in the past together. They have worked for a long time. So more recently, they discovered a Cascal Bale project in Ecuador. And the company Sol Gold and I went from few pence to 45. I think at one point in time, their market cap was one and a half billion. So it's a... That discovery and then a few others they have done together. This is where you can't really put a valuation on experience, can you? That's right. Can you dig a little bit more into that two metallogenic belts this project is located between? Why has this area then been overlooked that you're in right now? Some part of the land that we have was acquired by Rio Tinto, half of that land. And Rio Tinto, when they were looking at it, they were also looking at their project in Mongolia and they focused more on Mongolia than Argentina. And Argentina being Argentina, there wasn't attracting a lot of attention in the past. Um, it's attracting a lot more attention now. And they sort of just didn't do any work. And then when they let it go, the senior geologist that they had, they given it to him. And Jason Ward, who has been living in Mendoza for 20 years with his Spanish wife, local girl, they, he, has his, he had his eye on this project for a long time. So he's just been assembling quietly. Uh, the ground that was uh, Rio Tinto ground and the other was privately held. And uh, seeing the results, what London has been doing, just closing the gap between the two bells, El Indio and Maritonga Bell, he felt this was the ground that he would be probably finding his next five porphyry system. Can I take, I can ask a little question without notice. Is there truth to the story that this project, Jason's project, was part of a, a passion project for him, a part, part of a grand romantic promise? and made good, if you like, to his wife. Is that actually true? That's true. <laughs> Jason doesn't promise his wife. I would have been happy with flowers or chocolates, but a, <laughs> a big cup of coffee would be good too. So how did you structure that original deal for the project to become part of Bellararox? And Jason's part of your board now. That's right. So uh, we were looking at, uh, not particularly looking to acquire a project, but we were open to the idea, and this project really fitted well in terms of our strategy for finding similar metals that we were already exploring in Australia. 
And the other thing is that uh, from Jason's point of view, he was looking for a company that had limited number of shares on issues. So there was a lot of upside. So you know, if you look at a lot of juniors, they will have hundreds of millions of shares of an issue. And then it really becomes hard for somebody like them to come and make sort of get a fair share and then have a lot of upside. So with us, the structure was fine and it was being supported by the market and uh, his traditional brokers. So he, he, it really fitted well for him to join us and for us to have him. So we, and, and it was very kind to do a deal uh, where it is linked to the upside and, uh, and uh, he is investing 1 million US dollar of his own money in paying the real bills uh, for the explosion work we are carrying out now in Argentina. He's well invested. He's not shy, is he? No, he really believes in it. That's why he's putting a million US into it mm. in getting shares, BRX shares for it. So what's the next step on this project then? I mean, we, you and I are fast running out of time to explore, but what's the next step on this, this project for you? We are waiting for EIS to be granted, which we believe are imminent in the next few weeks we should have it. But more importantly, we are waiting for ice to melt. So we are expecting that by end of August, up in Andes, this winter season is over and then slowly we'll have be able to establish access and go back and do the work. So th- both will coincide together. But in the meantime, we are busy just planning, getting our contractors uh, and all those negotiations done so that as soon as we have the EIN, as soon as ice melt, we are there. So Jason is traveling end of next month. He lives there mostly, but he got a house in Australia also. So he divides his time between the two. And I'll be traveling with him too uh, to spend a bit of time in September when the field season starts. So listeners are obviously going to go and, and have a look at the share prices since listing. You've had some meteoric gains, as you mentioned at the start, and then some slumps as well. How would you describe the current company position for potential investors? Look, uh, I'll just describe the little bit of uh, why the downturn and then I'll come back where we are and what, how I think it will just go back again, in my opinion. I mean, uh, when it peaked and then there were global factors like interest inflation, and particularly the war in Ukraine. So it had impact on market in general, and it started to taper off from there. And uh, we are now, it's what we, we got from here on with this TMT project, which is world-class from any standard. As we start the field work, I think the interest will come back, and we will, and as we start hitting the results, we will see that that the value that we have in the company, we're only still about sub 20 million market cap company. And there are a couple of good announcements that we'll see as being valued. Can I cover that? Uh, uh, just a few more things, just changing a little bit here. That in the next few weeks, I only announced yesterday uh, all the historical results from TMT, which is that's 22 holes, 8,750 minutes of trenching, has now been declared as conforming to the 2012. What it gives me is that gives me confidence now that I can go and bundle a exploration target around that number. And I believe that once I instab shows that exploration target number in the announcement next few weeks, that will be a substantial announcement, significant announcement to showing substantial potential for finding more there. And, and the story is that that's not the main thing for me. That's only a pathfinder for finding the couple of porphyry that Dr. Garvin Jason believed is there are 11 very exciting targets there. So the value will get added into the company as we build the story. And, and also, Australian projects, you know, if you look at my lithium potential, I'm going to start doing some soil sampling work end of this month. 
and uh, hopefully that will give me enough to do some drilling for lithium-bearing pegmatites. And on the eastern side in Australia, the Ballara project, I have only sort of tested about three to four kilometers of potentially 25 kilometers of the mineralized corridor. And that 23 remaining kilometers are also very prospective in, in the same corridor. And in addition to that, VMS copper zinc style mineralization on the eastern side, because we have 643 square kilometer area in New South Wales, on the eastern side is known for having some old gold workings where there's not much work done. So if I can summarize them, TMT will have results coming from this exploration target, leading to the site work, leading to the more surface work, and then hopefully some drilling work before the end of the year. And then come here into Bulobuling, Western Australia, we'll have lithium drilling done. And on the eastern side in the Bellar project, we'll have extended the resource that we have, or at least the target, drilling targets defined for, and potentially find some gold deposits also. So a lot of exciting work ahead of us. Projects like yours are generating a lot of interest from companies who are chasing battery minerals, aren't they? So what's the potential, do you think, for Bellar could it accelerate your time frame with the right support? Correct. And that's definitely one of the strategy we'll be pursuing. And uh, without being able to give you a lot of details, I'm, I've already been approached by companies, significant companies, who have offered to either take a significant position in the company at the company level or discuss with us a potentially a joint venture or some sort of deal at the project level in Argentina. So I, I definitely think there will be a lot more discussions and a lot more work to be done in that area because this project will definitely attract attention from the big ones. Excellent. Well, we will listen to the news flow with interest, Avrin. Thank you so very much. 20 minutes or more than 20 minutes been and gone. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Christina. I really enjoyed talking to you. Looking forward to the next one. Fellow Arocs, three projects, two in Australia, one in Argentina. TMT, their lead projects, are situated in the underexplored area between two of the world's most prolific copper belts. As you said, it's elephant country. It's a belt that produces around 40% of the world's copper over there in Argentina. Undervalued, good cash reserves, low market cap, drilling as soon as the snow clears from the Andes. Uh, the team, more than confident to put their money into the project and keep it there. Do your own research. Will Avrin and his team once again produce a project that is going to generate the type of news flow that makes for happy investors? I'm Christina Morrissey. We've been talking to Bellarar Rocks MD, Avrind Misra. 